after we, uh, when we mail in our, uh, the gift, I think we've got about 100 pieces to add to this. We don't usually add them until we mail them to the uh, mortgage company. So I think we're just about at the 50% mark. Yeah, give yourselves a hand. And uh, I, think it, I think it was last week Mark kind of coined the phrase, then we're going to paint the sky. We're going to finish the sky. We're going for the, for the uh, top part. So that'll be kind of fun as we do that. Well, we're going to have communion at the end of the service today because the message kind of leads that way. But this is a good time for our young people to be dismissed with Miss Dottie to the um, kids' class, kids' class time. And um, yeah, you can make your way up the ramp. And uh, for the rest of us, let's dive in today to the um, scriptures that we're going to look at. And if you've got a handout, there's an insert in there that has the uh, scriptures for today. It's a fun week in some ways, and it's a very serious week in a, in a lot of ways, because we're talking today about the power of one and uh, the consequence of, of sin. Uh-oh, there I said it, that big three-letter word. <laughs> you know, if you think about... Um, if you think about what we've been through so far in the book of Joshua, we've really seen the uh, thrill, you know this, this, this phrase, right? The thrill of victory, you know? Today we're going to look at the agony of defeat. <laughs> How many of you kind of saw that, that uh, beginning reel where there's the thrill of victory and then the skier kind of goes off and you go, oh, the agony of defeat. And, and, and that's more where we're at today not to bring you down, not to disturb you, but to help us together see and learn from others' lessons that we can utilize ourselves. Because in chapter 6, I mean, things are going great, aren't they? Up till now, we've seen them go across the Jordan River. We've seen them have memorial stones. We've seen them bless their children. We've seen them take over the biggest city in Canaan and the most fortified one, Jericho. And they did it without a casualty, without a loss, without really having to fight much. They just marched around and marched around and marched around again, you know. And God delivered the city into their hands. So now it kind of takes a little bit of a turn, a little bit of a change. The first half, which is the thrill of victory, and this chapter, which we might call the agony of defeat. In fact, um, look what it says in... I call it the power of one sin, okay? We're going to talk about that, because here's what it says. In the last part of chapter, no, not this, this is just a little humor. People who say small things don't matter have never slept in a room with one mosquito. <laughs> yeah. Here's what the last verse of chapter 6 says. Chapter 6, verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. Okay, that's after Jericho is taken over. They have victory. They have joy. And Joshua is, uh, fame is spread. Now here's the next word. What's the next word? The big but. The big but. Yeah. But something negative happened. Everything was going well, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan 
son of Cammi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. Selfishness, greed, stealing. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Notice, a man did the sin, but the Lord's anger burned against Israel. And that's what I'm getting at in part today, is don't ever underestimate the power of one, both negative and positive. The power of one. Don't ever underestimate your own input, how God might be utilizing you. And I think that draws us to want to be more pure. Because all, all sinned, and uh, in a way, they all suffered because one sinned. Okay? We're going to watch the, the, the but in that verse. The but the Israelites were unfaithful. We're going to see it uh, unfold. One failed, and I say all flailed. <laughs> Just getting a little uh, creative there. It's sometimes fun to look at the power of a positive one, but the negative is true as well. God said all the spoils of Jericho were to go to his work, were to be dedicated to the uh, tribe of Levi. To, they, were, they were supposed to be honoring and for the worship of God. They were not supposed to, and nobody was supposed to take anything for themselves in that one battle. As the walls fell down and the men ran up into the, the city, every bit of plunder was to be given to the Lord's work. Nobody was to benefit personally from it. Now that's different from what's to come. What's to come, there's amazing opportunities. As cities flee, the uh, Israelites are able to take an abundance of possession from those, um, from those victories. But in this first case, and I want you to think about that for a minute, isn't it true that God has always said, first fruits, first fruits. The first of our income is to be dedicated to the Lord. Don't wait until you go, well, I've paid all my bills and, you know, I got five bucks left. When you honor him with the first, you'll have an amazing discovery at the, at the rest. If you wait to see what you have left over, you may never get to God's best. And that's really the first fruit idea. Put the priority on the Lord, on his work, on his giving. And in this case, just obey him. Just obey him. There was what they called the devoted thing. And he took, they took, his family, they, they took the devoted thing. It was stolen. It was um, erroneously received. Hebrews says, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In this case, disbelief led to disobedience. For whatever reason, Achan, he sees these walls fall. He sees God in operation and somehow he says, well, I'm not going to do what God says. I'm going to keep this for myself instead of trusting God. Without faith, it's impossible 
to please God because we will disobey. Let's talk about the power of one presumption. They presumed in the middle of this that there was going to be going to be victory. I'll read it from uh, verse 2 following. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. So they're in Jericho. Ten miles away is a city called Ai, which is near Beth-Avon to the east of Bethel. And he told them, go up and spy out this region. Now we've already seen them. They like to use spies, don't they? The 12 spies went into the land. Ten came back with a bad report. Joshua and Caleb came back with a positive report. And there was a 40-year interval. Okay? They went into Jericho after two spies went in. They found Rahab the harlot, had faith, and eventually her, her, her place on the wall was the only place on the wall standing as the rest of the walls collapsed. You know, they, they so here, they're spying out Ai. Now, instead of coming back like they did from Jericho and saying, this is a pretty awesome fortress, well, here's what they said. <laughs> they returned to Joshua. They said, now, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. They said, send two or 3,000 men and take it. Do not weary the whole army. Okay? This is a piece of cake. Okay? It's, a, it's an easy one. For only a few people live there. So compared to Jericho, this was a town, not a city or a village. You know, it, was a, it was a small opportunity. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed the men of Ai. They were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. So let me get this picture here. Jericho, this big city, they took with zero casualties. That's pretty cool. Ai, this small town, village, they went in and had 36 casualties. And they ran away. And they were chicken. They were afraid. Their hearts melted like water. Okay? What's going on? In Jericho, they barely had to do anything. They just obeyed God and marched around. In this case, it was full-fledged warfare, and they didn't even have a victory. What in the world is taking place? That's where they're beginning to look. That's why I call it the power of one presumption, to presume on God. When they were looking at Jericho, their fear led them to fall on their face before God before they went in. In this case, it was more like, we got this. Does that ever affect us? You know, sometimes I'll ask people, well, have you prayed about it? No, it hasn't come to that yet. <laughs> what? You don't, you, don't reserve, you don't reserve, you know, prayer for the last. That's kind of what they did. That's kind of what they did. They presumed everything's going to be great. Instead of falling on their face before God and trusting in him, just like they did Jericho, where they had to. They couldn't get into Jericho, but they got in here. You know... We need to be the most careful we ever are after a victory. 
You know, it's often after a great victory in our lives that Satan comes on full force. Boom! When you have a victory, that's when the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. Take extra caution. You remember Jesus as he was baptized into the Jordan River and he came up out of the water and there was this glorious, amazing moment where the voice from heaven came and everybody on the shore, the Bible says, heard it. This is my beloved son. Listen to him in whom I am well pleased. I mean, Jesus could not have been blessed more except the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in a form like a dove actually bodily came and rested on him I mean, we're talking about victory of victories, and immediately, as he walks out of the water, what happens? The Bible said he was led into the wilderness, into the desert, so to speak, to be tempted. Temptation is often ramped up at our most victorious times. So you may be walking in victory right now. Take heed lest you fall. You may be in a, a time where victory is going to be down the road a ways. Note to self, now be prepared. Because God will often call on us at those times. Now, now here's, here's another. After the temptations, the Bible says, Satan left Jesus, this is the Luke account, for a more opportune time. I mean, Jesus answered the temptations, one, one, one two, two, three, with the word of God in every case. It is written, it is written, it is written. And he overcame. I mean, so we have the victory in the river, and we got the victory in the desert, okay? But Satan left him for a more opportune. So what happened? I mean, numerous times, but the one other victory time that I'm thinking of was Peter saying, Jesus, who who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And just chills went in every, what? He said, flesh and bone has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It was a point of amazing victory. He had convinced his closest disciple who was going to lead the church in the next phase. He convinced him of who he was. He knew who he was, and he declared it. And guess what happened? Immediately, temptation followed. It always does. Peter, the same Peter, says, Lord, you're not going to the cross. We're not going to let you. You can't go give your... And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. I mean, the very person that had brought this moment of victory for the Lord was now the one he's identifying as the source of temptation. You're not going to tempt me not to fulfill my purpose, not to gain my destiny, what I was put on earth to do. Get thee behind me. Satan. So you and I, instead of presuming on God, instead of presuming it's what's always been will always be, we just need to keep seeking diligently the Lord. And we'll have Christ-like experiences where victory goes to victory, the Bible says. We'll lead from one victory to another victory to another victory instead of what the the, um, uh, Israelites had, which was victory and defeat. Victory and defeat as they trusted God and left the Lord's trust. Pride does go before a fall. When uh, Marietta sent me this, uh, Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 and 5. Write that down if you would. Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 and 5. And here's here's the, the, the phrase I think it was mentioned last week with Brian. 
He says, when you go in and you take over these, don't think it's because of your righteousness. Don't think it's because of your goodness. Hey, aren't we all of that? He said, no. The only reason you're doing this is because of the wickedness of the people. The wickedness is so bad, they've got to be removed. Don't think it's because of your goodness. It's because of their badness. Okay? And that's the idea here. Don't presume that God's just going to work for you. and, and you just take it for granted. That's the danger. That's the exact danger. So there's power in instead um, following through with and being informed of constantly trusting him. Let's talk about leadership for a minute. We got one sin. Now, now we got one leader. And here's a couple of things that I think are exemplary that Joshua does. First of all, Let's read the passage. It says, verse 6, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same. They sprinkled dust on their head. Then Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan River and into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Kind of see him being snarky, don't you? Kind of being, uh, by the way, is it okay to talk to God like that? Karen says yes. I say yes. I mean, look at the Psalms. It's okay to ask God questions. You know? It's okay to share your, and bear your heart to him. Notice the next phrase. I love verse 8. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please forgive me. Okay? I mean, that's the essence of what he's saying. I'm confused. I'm troubled. I'm distressed. Please forgive me, Lord. I think in the midst of saying this to the Lord, he realizes, that didn't come out right. I'm sorry, Lord. You know? I didn't mean it that way. He said, what can I say now? Now he's going to focus on God's glory. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? Uh, The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe us out, wipe out your name from the earth. What then will will you do for your great name? In the end, the name of the, the Lord, the greatness of God is on his mind and in his heart. So what's, you know, what's, he, what's this one leader do? Number one, he gets on his face before the Lord. He gets on his face before God. He prostrates himself, puts his face down in the ground before the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. And he asks God, he goes before the Lord in prayer. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. One prayer can turn a thousand to flight because God will use one. Notice the mourning and the grieving that's there. You know, that's the the imagery. When they poured dust on their head, you know, that was a a grieving moment. Put on sackcloth and ashes, they talk about. It's it's like we're lower than dirt. We're so discouraged right now. We need you, Lord, to pick us up. We are repentant. 
here's a couple of things to think about. First of all, they're seeking, seeking the Lord. I say it this way, as the leader goes, so goes the people. Notice it's the elders of the body, elders of the church that come along right after him. He starts it and he leads. They start it and they lead pretty soon. The entire nation can fall on its face before the Lord. Leadership is that way. When you seek the Lord, that, that's really what leadership is. You may not be appointed, you know, you may not be elected, you may not be selected as a quote-unquote leader, but you are a leader. Others are following you. And as you seek the face of the Lord, there are going to be people noticing. Are you seeking the face of the Lord? In fact, what's the, assess the situation. That's a leadership thing, isn't it? Seek the Lord and that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, you know, what's, what are you going to do for your great name? We want to expand and, 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 and glorify you in the midst of all this. And it's not happening when we get 36 men killed, when we run away in, in fear and disbelief. Something's not working right, Lord. Can you show us the answer? In fact, when he says, pardon me, O Lord, spare me. Oh, Lord, forgive me, oh, Lord. And I just want to say repentance is always good. Now, it would have been better if Joshua had prayed this prayer before the battle of Ai. <laughs> you know, it would have been better if he'd have been as diligent in this time and this battle as he had been in Jericho, okay? But he wasn't. But it's always a right time to start with repentance. It's always a good place to start with prayer. If you realize, you know, I should have prayed about that, bow right then and take it to the Lord in prayer and, and, and pray about it. God listened to him and God is, is, is going to change the situation. I'm thinking about uh, Philippians. It says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I often think about this. If every knee is going to bow one day, why wouldn't we want to do it ahead of time? Now, voluntarily. Because if we don't do it voluntarily, in much the same way that Joshua comes to this, there's going to be something to motivate us to do it. If you do it voluntarily, this side of eternity... You get all the joy and blessing that comes with exclaiming Him as Lord and Savior and Master of your life. All the benefits that come from that. If you wait, like many folks are going, I'm just going to wait until eternity. And you're forced to name Him as Lord and Savior. There's judgment. There's judgment. It's not going to be pretty. Why don't we do it in advance. It's better to confess Jesus now than to wait for eternity in judgment, which is kind of what happened to the children of Israel. They, judgment happened, and then they confessed. Then they prayed. Then they focused on Him. There is power in each leadership act, the power of one leader. Let's uh, talk about the confession Talk about the confession. 
Do you know there's power in confession? Confessio. It's the idea of saying in agreement with God. Saying what really happened. Telling the truth. Being real. Being transparent. Verse 19. We skipped a little bit, but we'll come back to it. Then Joshua said to Achan, the one who had stolen the goods, he said, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and honor him. He starts out by saying, What we're after here is about God's glory. Give glory to God. Tell me what you have done. Tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Fess up. Confess. Achan replied, it is true. Now, they've gone through a process, the whole tribe, the whole set of households, all the way down to God had revealed that it was Achan. That's why he's asking him in specifics. He said, yes, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord. Remember David who said, against you, against you only have I sinned? Now, he'd sinned against a lot of people, but ultimately, Sin is always against the Lord. Well, I just, I just hurt some people. I didn't hurt God. No, hurting people hurts God. <laughs> Showing lack of faith hurts Him. He says, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them, and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. Uh, just pause for a minute to notice. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. It's a progression. We're going to dig into that in a little more detail. So Joshua sent the messengers, and they ran to the tent, and there it was, hidden in his tent, silver underneath. They took the things and brought them to Joshua and all the Israelites and spread them out before the Lord. You know this Numbers passage, right? Beware, your sins will find you out. Yeah. Sin has a way of doing that, doesn't it? <laughs> and the, most, the more secret we think we are, the more exposed it becomes. Now this confession, this confession as he's describing here, it had led to the death indirectly but, but specifically of 36 men as they went in and the sin in the, camp had, the sin in the camp had caused them to be unsuccessful. And this uh, confession of inconsistency, of stealing, of what he had done in not trusting God. That's the ultimate sin is not trusting God. All sin boils down to not trusting God and His best in your life. I'm thinking about a time when I was uh, eight years old. <laughs> I don't actually remember what the incident was at our household, but something broke. I think it was a lamp. And my folks went around and said, did you break this? Did you break this? Did you break this? And none of us said yes. I was the guilty party. And when it came to me, I said, 
No. I didn't break that. In fact, I think I said it pretty emphatically. No. So my folks, in their wisdom, um, this was during an era of uh, capital punishment. Do you guys know about that? It used to be a form of discipline, corporeal discipline. So they lined us up, and they said, nobody did this, but somebody did this. We're going to find out who. Honesty is, my dad said this, honesty is so important in our family, we're not going to be allowed to lie to one another. They lined us up. My dad took off his belt, started with my older sister. Now, I was the guilty party. I'm second in line. Okay? It took one swat <laughs> before I splouted it out. I said, Dad, I did it. I confessed. Now, my sister's never forgiven me for that one swat. <laughs> and, 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 I, and, and while it was coming, I, I was just like, I know I should confess. I, I know. I, I don't want to get in trouble. And, of course, who got the discipline then? You know? My, my, I didn't get disciplined for breaking the lamp. You know what I got disciplined for? Lying. Lying is so much more important than what the accident was, what the incident was. The, the, the idea that my dad has, we are going to be a family of honesty. We are going to be telling the truth to each other, even if it hurts for a moment. You know? And what happened to me, I, I, I just remember the feeling. Once I got it out, you, you've done this. Once you confess and tell the truth, even though the consequence might be harder, the feeling is so much better. There's a freedom and a, and a potential in that that comes no other way. You know? And I'm just, I'm just thinking that's kind of where Aiken was at. He's now at the point. He, 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 he's going to pay with his life. He's going to pay with his family. I mean, there's an amazing... Because to God, honesty... And faith was the most important thing. Even life itself was not as important to him as the body of the Israelites, knowing what his values were, knowing what the truth was, and knowing where it came down. Now, as we talk about confession, I want to kind of go through this stages of temptation a little bit, because at any point along the way, confession can lead to victory at any point at any stage and the apostle James I think he might have been reading the book of Joshua when he wrote James chapter 1 I'm going to look at verse 13 through 15 you've seen this maybe before but it's just good to illustrate it under this circumstance um, had, had I confessed early on I probably wouldn't have gotten a spanking my sister wouldn't have gotten a spanking we would now have been lined up. The trauma that comes from all of us having to be, you know, would have spared a lot. And so sometimes knowing the stages helps us to identify where we might be in the process and to be far more cautious. First of all, it says in uh, James chapter 13, I mean chapter 1 verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away or dragged away and trapped 
by their own evil desire. Put the word desire down, would you? Desire. Now, desires are built into us by God, right? I mean, we have desires. Nothing wrong with desires. God made us desire food to fill our stomach. But gluttony is an evil use of a godly desire. Okay? God gave us um, a desire to rest and to sleep. But slothfulness or laziness is a sin. It's the misuse of a desire. I just want to rest. Yeah, 20 hours of rest is a little excessive. You know? If you think about our sexual appetite, he gave us God-given desire for sexuality. But adultery, fornication, that's a misuse of God's great gift and desire. That's the way, in a way, sin is. So he says, when you are dragged away and enticed by your own evil desire, that's this side. That's this side. You may have a desire to get an education and learn. Well, but stealing is a, is a sin. Cheating is a sin, right? It's taking those good desires. And, and I, I'm adding the word dragged here. Dragged away by their own it's this idea of being pulled into it. That's what Satan did with Jesus. He tried to pull him away and into it. I remember as a kid, I was trying to uh, team up with my neighbor who had caught a baby raccoon and turned it into a pet, Smokey. And I wanted a pet raccoon so bad. So we were out in the woods all the time with these have-a-heart traps. And they're basically like a dog kennel with a trap door on one side. And we tried the Victor traps, the little snap shut ones. They were a little bit damaging. We mostly caught skunks. <laughs> we got skunked. <laughs> well, and we caught a lot of skunks in the have a heart traps too, okay? Opossums and other things. But what we were trying to do, we were trying to entice and pull into, drag into the trap. We'd use peanut butter. Oh, peanut butter was one of the best Things. Smear some peanut butter in there, and the uh, animal would try to go inside. And that's the imagery that's here, is that idea of dragged away by their own evil desires, and then they are enticed. I use the word deception for enticed, because Satan will always use a warp of God's Word. Did you realize when he tempted Jesus in the desert, in the wilderness, he kept using God's Word in warped ways? Every one of the temptations, he warped God's word and tried to deceive him. It was deception that enticed. And Jesus didn't stand for it. He wouldn't deal with it. He wouldn't succumb to it. Jot down the word decision because there's a point at which it goes from enticement to, I'm going to do that. That's when you make the fatal decision. It says when that desire conceives conceives. That's a pregnancy taking place. It conceives. One of the versions says uh, spawned. It's spawned. In fact, all of these terms here are really from the animal world. Okay, why? Because so often sin is focusing on the animal side of your, of your creation, the animal side uh, 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 of who you are. They're living like animals instead of living like God's 
image people. Jot the word deviation down. It conceives and gives birth to what? Sin. Sin basically is the word for deviation. You're deviating, going off of God's best. It's an archery term. You know this probably. Sin is hamartia. It's what archers would use for hitting the bullseye or missing the bullseye. Sin is for not hitting the mark. Well, what's the mark? God's best for you. That's the mark. And when you fall short of the best for you, that's sin. He has a plan for you. Here's what it includes. Here's what it doesn't include. When you go out of what is God's will, that's where sin uh, reigns, where it takes over. It's that deviation, falling short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the idea. It's there. And what's the last one? It always ends. It always ends in death. Death in your relationship with God, death physically, death family-wise, death emotionally, relationally. Death always is a consequence. That's why God is so intent. He's not trying to keep us from fun. Well, you can't sin because I don't want you to have any. No, it's the opposite. I want you to have the best possible life ever on the earth. Therefore, stay out of this and stick with this. Here's the way to have the best possible relationships. Follow my lead. Otherwise, you will have death. In fact, it's, the meaning of death is separation. When you think about when a person dies, their spirit separates from their body. But also, for a lot of us, for a lot of people in our, in our world, there's going to be a separation between them and God. Ultimate separation. Death means separation. And what we do is, with sin, it just pulls us further and further and further from God. Remember David said, when I kept quiet about my sin, he says, my body wasted away. He said, I was depressed all day long. When I kept quiet about my sin, I couldn't do anything right. But when I confessed my sin, he says, the joy of the Lord returned. That's what we were meant to live in. Every time you defeat temptation, you become more like Christ, become more like Jesus. Jesus loved to say it this way. He said, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. John 10.10 is the place where this is found. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I, I'm the Lord, and I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it in abundance. Have life. And so when we follow the Lord, unlike being killed, being stolen from, what, what, what Satan's here for, we have life. You have more Christ-like life as you push away from falling short and trust Him in the midst of that. In Christ, we don't have shame in Christ, those of us who have accepted Christ as our Lord and our Savior. He doesn't want us to, to, to live like Achan, being persecuted and, and prosecuted in the midst of this thing. He wants us to know that he came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. So those are the stages. Let's talk about the cleansing because we're going to get ready to close out here.
the power of one cleansing. Verse 13 says, Go, consecrate yourselves. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. So this is said to uh, Joshua. Skip down to verse 24. Verse 24 says, Then Joshua, together with all Israel, took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the robe, the gold bar, his sons and daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had to the valley of Achor. By the way, you know what um, Achan means? Trouble. You know what Achor means? Trouble. The valley of trouble. The man of trouble. Now, I'm not sure why his parents named him Trouble. <laughs> or if it was a nickname given to him after the fact, because he definitely brought trouble. In fact, here's what it says. Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble to you today. All, all Israel stoned in verse 26. Over Achan they heaped a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. The day this was written. And the Lord turned from his fierce anger. Therefore, the place of that has been called the Valley of Achor ever since that day. There's a big pile of rocks there. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to swallow. You mean his whole family gets brought into the judgment? That's why we're talking about the power of one today. Now, I don't know about the culpability, but it appears that when he went to hide things in his tent, the whole family got involved. There was a family conspiracy. I mean, you got, you got to know he's tearing the house apart to bury this underneath, and somebody's noticing isn't it ironic? The stuff that he stole, he couldn't even use. I mean, think about the Babylonian robe for a minute. He's got this gorgeous new, you know, fashion, and he's going to... It's buried under his tent. That's the way Satan does. He's thinking it's going to be a certain way, but it's not, you know? He's thinking he, he can't even use the money, you know? That's what Satan so often does to us. Instead, he becomes literally an example of what not to do. He becomes a pile of rocks where we can say, when you're trouble, you end up in a valley of trouble. Yeah. Now, I want to focus just quickly on this verse. I discovered this back in Bible college, and it's made it makes evil in the world make sense to me. And even events like this make sense to me. Read this with me. Because the sentence against evil, an evil deed, is not quickly executed, therefore the hearts of the sons of mankind among them are fully given to do evil. Okay, you catching that? Because there's a distance between the sin and the judgment, okay? That's why there's evil in the world. I mean, if everybody faced consequences like Achan that were fairly immediate, we'd have a lot less theft. We'd have no tax evasion. We'd have no, you know, start going through the list. Because the consequences are delayed, evil exists. I mean, think about it for a minute. If I'm up here on the top of a tall building and I step off, 
The law of gravity is immediate, right? Okay? God's laws are not like that. There's, according to this, there's a big delay in most of the execution of God's laws. Now, they're just as certain as the law of gravity. There's, they're just as firm as the law of gravity, but there's a delay in them. And we live in that delay. And it's in that delay that we really need to trust God. It's in that delay that we need to focus our attention on Him and say, I don't want to wait until the consequence down the road. I want to shorten it up and I want to trust God now and believe His word now. Instead of saying, what's the least I can do to trust God and and what can I get away with? In fact, I get the picture with uh, Achan. Most of it was he would not have confessed had he not been caught. Are we like that? David, he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, or he probably would have died in desperation and suicide because he was depressed for keeping his sin. So Nathan the prophet came and brought the sin, brought the problem up to a consequence point. That's what the church is here for. That's what relationships are here for. We're supposed to, as the body of Christ, help each other and, and confess our sins to one another and pray for one another so that we may be healed. That's what we're supposed to do. The scriptures talk about restoring people that are in sin. It's not to be judging them. It's to restore them. He says, you who are spiritual, restore such a one with a spirit of gentleness, lest you too be tempted. Do it with a watchful heart and a watchful, a watchful eye. So uh, the law that God gives us, it's just as certain, but it explains why there's evil. So the power of our deeds, the power of even uh, cleansing. Don't think for a minute that you don't have those around you that are affected by your actions. There's people looking at you. There's non-Christians looking at you. There's children looking at you. There's neighbors. Friends, there's people looking at us as a church family. People examining who we are. We are affecting others. You know, the body, the, the, the scriptures talk about our church family as a body. He says, you may think you can sin and not affect the body, but it's not true. Whatever you do to glorify God blesses the body or to sin brings the body, brings the body down. About this time of year, it was Thanksgiving when I was four years old. I gorged on Thanksgiving. I know no kids usually do that, but uh, yeah, I'm a food lover, and I just had the best Thanksgiving I've ever had, and I got sick. I got really sick. So Thursday night, I remember my, my parents had moved into a new house, and we hadn't even put the beds together yet. I was sleeping on a mattress on the floor, and oh, I was sick as a dog. Got sicker and sicker and more sick as the weekend went. My parents just thought, well, it serves them right, you know, <laughs> gorging like that. But pretty soon they got, started getting worried. And by Sunday morning, my dad, who was a preacher, called the elders and he said, I got to get my son to the hospital. You need to take over for me. And I just remember that ride. I mean, he threw me in the Volkswagen bug and we ran stoplights and everything 
to get to the hospital. And the doctors described it to my folks later as they took my appendix out, my affected appendix out, it ruptured in their hands as they exited the, the, the piece. It was not just gorging myself. It may have been God, who knows how it all works. But I had appendicitis. And my body, for three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, my body felt it all over. One little piece of infected or misoperating material in my stomach, it affected the whole, the whole, the whole body. So it is. That's why God calls on us. Don't look at your life like the world says. It's just about, this is a victimless sin, a victimless crime. You know, there is no such thing. Especially when you belong to the people of God, the body of Christ. Everything you think, everything you say, everything you do is a, a part of the fabric of who we are and what we do. And that should inspire us not to be fearful and shameful and, oh, no. No, it should inspire us to say, let's spur one another on to love, to good deeds, to bless God, to glorify Him in all our ways. Oh, that we should be helping each other and restoring each other. Well, let's end with this. And uh, the power of the community the power of, end with this, one Savior. The power of one gets down to the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus in his life. Let me just share a couple of verses here. You know these, but they're so powerful. Okay? He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. You know, Joshua... Abraham, all the people of God that were pre-Christ, they were looking forward to the Messiah. All the people that live today, 2,000 years later, we look back on the cross of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Through that one sacrifice, through that one gift, God took Achan's sin and could dealt with it. He takes our sin as we trust in His crucified body. He took our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's the goal. By his wounds, what? You're healed. You're healed. You need healing today. How is it done? By trusting, putting your faith, putting your hope in Jesus Christ and allowing that one more, I, I, I just, this, we could take all day on this, but I think about Romans chapter 5. And I'm just ellipsing a bunch of it here, but just to catch the, the nub of it. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through what? One man. Who's that one man? Adam. Yeah. By the way, do you think about his uh, temptation? Eve and him, you know, they saw, they coveted, it was good for, play, it was good for food. They took, then what they do? They hid. Same thing, right? Through one man, death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. That's why we die. That's why there is physical death. And we weren't designed for that. We were designed to live eternally. We were designed to live forever. 
But if by this trespass of one man, death reigned throughout one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundance and his abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? Adam brought sin into the world, but Jesus Christ deals with our sin. That's why we don't have to read this Achan story and go, oh no, I'm so fearful of God. No, no, we are living on this side of the cross. We get the blessing of the gospel of Jesus being preached where his love, his grace, what's it say? The abundant provision of his grace and the gift of righteousness. It is ours. He doesn't want us to live under an Achan cloud. He doesn't want us to live with secrecy and quiet about sin, nor does he want us to live with judgment. Instead, he wants us to live with his gift, with his righteousness. Are we ever going to be perfect? No way. Are we always going to have to confess our sin and focus? Yes. It will never stop. But God's plan for you and for me is to live in the power of that one Savior. What's it say? Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him as your Lord and Savior? Let's... uh, Let's take some time and pray. This can be a preparation for communion. I'm going to ask uh, Caitlin to come up and sing the song about the beautiful name of the Lord. There it is right there. Jesus. Jesus the Christ. Jesus. Heavenly Father, thank you for your gift to us of forgiveness. Lord, as we read about judgment of this man Achan, it, it, it hurts our heart. It hurts us to know what's uh, so, so dangerous about sin. But at the same time, it causes us to rejoice because we have forgiveness of sins and a life of righteousness that you hand to us. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for your amazing provision of the gift of grace and of life. Lord, that's what we want to celebrate here today as we take time to take communion. We just celebrate who you are and what you've done in and through our lives. In Jesus' name.